Hi everyone, today we're talking about DCA, dollar cost averaging, with Reed from Swan Bitcoin. If you're interested, visit coincumbus.com slash swanbitcoin to set up a free account. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from coincumbus.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of uh, Bitcoin Basics Podcast. We have a very special guest this evening, which I'll get Gordon to uh, introduce later. So I'm Ferris, and we'll do a proof of time. So it is Wednesday, 12th of August, almost at 20 past 5 p.m. UTC time. And the price of Bitcoin is 11,540 US dollars. And the block height is 643,393. Gordon, who do we have with us today, tonight, this evening, this morning? Thanks, Faris. Well, it's definitely uh, this evening or early morning for me. Today we have Reed. Womack. Actually, I should have asked you that before I actually introduced it, <laughs> if that was the correct pronounced it perfectly. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. So we have uh, Reed Womack from uh, Swan Bitcoin, but we'll get to that in a minute. Reed, how about you introduce yourself, uh, how you got to Bitcoin, and, and perhaps what was your first sort of experience in, in buying Bitcoin? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Reed, uh, and I work at customer support for Swan Bitcoin which is a US, currently a US-only Bitcoin exchange that helps people save in Bitcoin. And so we pride ourselves on being the easiest way to save money in Bitcoin. Um, it, it's <laughs> very simple, so easy your, your grandmother could do it. Um, and I'm actually a relative newcomer to Bitcoin. Um, so I first became interested really in the fall of 2018, um, so less than two years ago and have since it's consumed my life (laughs) in a great way. Uh, I've gone down the rabbit hole. I've been writing a newsletter about Bitcoin, trying to get friends and family to invest in it. Um, And the Bitcoin Buddha. Yeah. And, and I, I think I actually first bought Bitcoin on Robinhood, um, a sort of a Bitcoin derivative product Mm -hmm. that Robinhood has. Um, and then shortly thereafter, and so that was winter of, of 2019, and then shortly thereafter have, you know, start, bought some on Coinbase, and now I've very much moved away from Coinbase because of their high fees, and, and um, currently save Bitcoin weekly through Swan Bitcoin, and then occasionally do some smash buys on Cash App. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's yeah. that's my short story of, of how I got into Bitcoin. I'm, um, so thank you for having me on. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're absolutely you, welcome. And by the way, that was a test to see how security conscious you were, because of course the correct answer is I don't have any Bitcoin. <laughs> the Bitcoin. First, first rule of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a boating accident. They're the two answers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both accepted. So I, I had a look at some of the other podcasts and I certainly don't want to rehash them, but a couple of interesting things you were actually introduced to, well, I guess got exposure to Ethereum and you were talking about, you know, seeing Vitalik with um, Putin, I think it was. And 
So, so why Bitcoin and not Ethereum? Why not invest in Ethereum and some of these? Yeah, things? that's a really good question. And I think a lot of people new to the space, uh, new to sort of cryptocurrency space, end up hearing a lot of different marketing pitches from a lot of different coins. And, and Bitcoin is now by far the oldest and, and has the largest market cap and, and the largest community at this point. Um, but there still are a lot of other coins that people hear about. Um, and, and I got sort of almost more exposed to Ethereum early on because one of my best friends um, had a, a, actually a, a Bitcoin chainalysis company, really, that he was, he was starting up. And he came to Denver to go to F Denver. And I just remembered talking to him about ETH. <laughs> uh, you know, at the time I was not, not really involved in Bitcoin at all. And there just seemed like a crazy amount of cool energy in, in Ethereum in, in that community. Um, so that was my first exposure. But really upon researching more, um, you sort of start to see the ways that cryptocurrencies aren't like equities. Um, they they are a currency and once you start looking at cur- at cryptocurrencies as a currency uh it's hard it's hard not to go towards the the strongest the largest and the one that is most likely to in the end dominate um and so i i think by that spring um i had had sort of become less interested <laughs> after two months in ethereum i realized that uh there were a lot of promises that weren't fulfilled and, um, and, and a lot of the toxicity of the Bitcoin maximalists, the sort of shooting down Ethereum ideas and pointing out its flaws, um, those started to percolate in my mind. Um, and so by, the, by, uh, by last spring, I, I became mostly interested just in Bitcoin. And then essentially by the summer, I went further down, did even more research and just started reading Austrian economics and and at that point, I, you know, I became a, a maximalist and n- no longer hold any anything other than Bitcoin, and no longer advise people to hold anything other than Bitcoin, and encourage people to to sell other things for Bitcoin. Um, not that other things can't make money in the short term, just long term for risk management, it, it doesn't make sense to to be holding the the altcoin hot potato. <laughs> yeah, no, we can agree with you more, and. Um... Yeah, it sounds like when you're talking about Austrian economics, for me, I think the aha moment for me with Bitcoin was basically the supply and demand, understanding that it's market capped. Um, sorry, it's supply capped at, you know, 21 million. And then just looking mm-hmm. to the weeds and that there's, so for me, I came, I mean, Gordon told me about Bitcoin, I think 2012. And I kind of, you know, did what most people do. Okay, whatever you're talking about. So it was like second life money or something at that time. But yeah. then yeah, I started spending, you know, you know, as you say, you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I spent like four hours a day mm-hmm. learning about this thing. For me, I really appreciate it from an economic and financial standpoint, whereas, you know, someone like Gordon's looking at it from the technological standpoint. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to mention, Raid, we get very jealous of you guys living in America because we don't have access to Robinhood, Cash App, all that kind of stuff. Um, So can people living outside the U.S. invest in Swan Bitcoin or use Swan Bitcoin to um, buy Bitcoins and how they go about doing that? Good question. Yeah. So right right now, the U.S. has a lot of different ways to buy Bitcoin, some direct Bitcoin and then other things are sort of give you exposure to Bitcoin, but you don't really own the actual Bitcoin. So Robinhood is a good example of that. 
um, or GBTC, um, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is sort of a derivative product of, of Bitcoin. Um, and we at Swan, we allow you to actually own your own Bitcoin and, and we try and guide you towards self-custodying, taking it out from our custody and putting it in your own ha hardware wallet, um, which you know, we think strengthens the network in the long term and, uh, and helps our users avoid any bad actors. Um, you know, us or, or somebody else, just encouraging them to, to take ownership. Um, but right now we're, we are just focused on the US. So we can only sort of, we can only sell Bitcoin to people who have a US social security number, a US bank account. Um, and, and it's not that we don't want to one day expand elsewhere. Um, we're just trying to sort of start with that narrow niche. And it's probably for the next two years, uh, at least we're just going to be focused on selling, selling to the U S market. Like in our view, it is the largest market, um, in the world. And so there's, there's just so much room to grow, even though there are more competitors in the U S than, than elsewhere. If you live outside of the U S there are a number of good options. So, um, you know, in Australia, there's Amber app and they're expanding to Europe soon. Um, bitter we hear is starting back up again. Um, in Europe with more KYC, but they should be running soon. Uh, in the UK, there's CoinFloor, um, their Bitcoin-only exchange. Canada has Bull Bitcoin. Um, you know, you can always do peer-to-peer -peer networks like DISC or local Bitcoins all over the world. Um, and then if, if you do want to get involved in SWAN, we have a program called SWAN Force, uh, which is a referral program. So even though we can't sell Bitcoin to you directly, if you have a bunch of friends, family, or no people in the US and you get them to sign up through your link, you can end up earning 25% of the fees that we make. So our fees are actually a lot lower than, than Cash Apps and, and Coinbase, um, you know, roughly around 1% depending on your plan size. Um, and you could end up earning 25% of those. So, you know, roughly 0.25% of, of what your friends or family end up buying through the U.S. So that's sort of how we're trying to, you know, expand internationally or, or at least get international people involved. Um, right now, the, the banking system internationally doesn't allow for push or doesn't allow for pull ACH transfers and, and, um, that's sort of like our main bread and butter of how we get money in um, is that we, we set up a system where people put in their bank account information, then we can just pull automatically every week from, from them. And I think um, a lot of international systems, the European banking system in particular, you have to push, which means that you have to, to accept every single uh, time somebody like tries to take money from you, you have to click a button and say, sure, I agree. Um, and so that's just like one extra hurdle. Um, and, and a different backend that we would have to build for other banking systems. Um, so right now, just U.S. focused, but we are incorporating referrals or international people can, can have referrals um, through us for their, for their American friends. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. I was really encouraged to hear that you're in so you want your customers to move to self-custodianship um, to own their own, hold their own Bitcoins, because that's something we advise on the show. And, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember having conversations with people who say, I bought some Bitcoins, and I'd ask them, where are they? Well, what do you mean? I went to a website and I bought them. <laughs> like, well, 
you haven't actually bought them. And Gordon came up with a good term was that you're renting them. They own them. So, <laughs> yeah. so cause I saw on your website, you do a, a methodology of hot storage and cold storage, depending on, mm -hmm. um, the customers, I suppose, if they're, how often they are getting in and out or how do you determine to yeah. move from a hot wallet to a cold storage yeah. wallet and who then teaches a customer <laughs> that's a good, how to use a cold storage wallet? Yeah, that's a good question. So as background for beginners, uh, hot wallets are connected to the internet. Um, so their keys, you know, can, they can, they can sign transactions quickly as a result of being connected to the internet. And, and cold wallets are disconnected from the internet. So they take longer and are on often a manual process of sending transactions. Um, hot wallets are exposed to a little bit more security risk um, through hackers or malware. Cold wallets tend to be much more secure. Um, so actually up until two weeks ago, we were purely on a cold wallet system. So everyone was on cold wallets, um, which which super safe. Um, however, it, it meant that withdrawals sometimes had a day or two days um, to go through. And we, we sort of decided that that wasn't a great user experience. And so we've moved now and added hot wallet capabilities. Um, so people who buy Bitcoin and then immediately withdraw are opted into hot wallets. And then people who buy Bitcoin and don't have a pattern of withdrawals are opted into uh, cold wallets. And so we try to guide people toward withdrawing and, and in our signup flow, and um, we end up, Towards, towards the end, like encouraging users to, to have, add an automatic withdrawal. Um, but if people aren't comfortable yet storing their own keys, that's totally fine. We can store them for you. And, and we have, it's actually stored in your name at, at a trust company. So we partner with Prime Trust um, and all the Bitcoin that, that is in your account is stored legally in your name at that company in, in its own account. Um, so that's it. That, that company, Prime Trust, is sort of best-in-class security provider, best-in-class custodian. They, custode, they, they provide services for finance and, and a bunch of other exchanges. Um, but we're actually the only company that it's, uh, the Bitcoin stored with Prime Trust is in your name rather than in Binance's name. So if you store Bitcoin on Binance, chances are, or Binance.us, chances are Prime Trust is holding that Bitcoin, but it's in Binance's name. If you store Bitcoin with us, Prime Trust is holding that that Bitcoin, but it's in your name. So if if, for instance, our company ever goes down or Binance ever goes down, uh, and you go to Prime Trust, you're never going to be able to get out your Bitcoin if it's stored under Binance's name. Whereas with with our model, if we ever, for whatever reason, I I don't anticipate this, but for whatever reason our our company goes out of business, um, that's fine. You could go to the trust company and, and it's in your name. And so that, that really stops us from rehypothecating Bitcoin. Um, like we, we just can't do it because it's not, it's not in our name. So we, it, uh, yeah, we can't, we can't touch your Bitcoin. Like you have to validate every, every transaction out. Um, you have to agree to. And that's, that's actually pretty cool as you get further down the rabbit hole and, and you recognize the, the likelihood of companies uh, rehypothecating Bitcoin, uh, it becomes more important, or you realize the importance of of 
banking with companies or, or custodying with companies who make that impossible. If you choose, again, if you choose to custody with a company um, versus custodying with a company who can do that easily, you know, someone like BlockFi, BlockFi or Celsius or, or potentially even Binance. So you mentioned uh, one of my trigger words, rehypothecation. Um, perhaps you could, uh, <laughs> yeah. you could go into that, read, but I guess to, just, just taking a little bit of a step back, because there may be some people who are sort of, you know, sort of new to Bitcoin and they're not sort of used to the, um, the buzzword bingo. Someone has, uh, say, $10,000 <laughs> and they're in the US. Why shouldn't they just transfer 10000 to Coinbase and buy Bitcoin? Give us your, uh, give us your elevator pitch for Swan Bitcoin. <laughs> That's a it's a good question um, because Coinbase at this point is the biggest name in the business, and so a lot of people when they think about buying Bitcoin, um, they they go there or the, or at least they've heard of that company. Um, unfortunately, Coinbase is, has over the last seven years or so done a number of things that haven't supported the system or or Bitcoin, um, and and some of those are adding a lot of other different cryptocurrencies um, that are backed by venture capitalists, um, but ultimately end up dumping to zero. So uh, the <laughs> Coinbase has, has made a fair amount of money by uh, listing projects that are pre-mined and are venture, venture backed, and then selling those to retail investors who don't know any better and then the, the venture capitalists profit and the retail investors uh, end up footing the bill and losing a lot of money. And so they've, over the last seven years, they've, they've done this repeatedly um, and made a lot of money off of sort of miseducating their users into buying these altcoin projects. Um, so that's, that's one reason um, why why they're they're not a great company. <laughs> uh, another more compelling reason for their users is their fees are super high. It's like two and a half percent or so to buy Bitcoin um, through them. So there are a lot cheaper options out, out there. Cash app is a lot cheaper and we are, are much cheaper than either of those. Um, so yeah, so if you, if you want to save yeah. money, <laughs> if you want to save Lee. money, on your Bitcoin, uh, you should, you probably shouldn't use Coinbase, you know, aside from them miseducating you and, and duping you into buying altcoins, they'll just charge you outrageous fees. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I was going to say, we recently just did a Coinbase and Binance comparison podcast. And if you're not in the US, the fees for buying Bitcoin on Coinbase is 4% because your only option is to use your credit card. That's crazy. Yeah. That's super and in high. fairness, um, most exchanges are the same, Reid. I mean, you, you go to the exchange yeah. and you want to buy Bitcoin and you're like, hang on, Bitcoin's $11,000. There's this other thing called Bitcoin Cash. That's, um, I don't even know what that is now. I don't look at yeah. the prices. So you got Bitcoin Cash yeah. and you got Bitcoin SV and this and that. And so, yeah, in fairness to other exchanges, they're kind of the same. So um, Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the difference or at least the way I viewed the difference is other exchanges are, are, are clearly casinos. They're honest about being casinos. They list everything, something like Binance or Kraken lists everything, and they don't spend 
uh, their time educating their users about the future of XLM or about the future of Cardano. You know, it's, it's purely a trading platform. Um, and, and I think for me, that, you know, that's not the business I want to be in, but casinos make good business. If you want to go trade, go trade Cardano and, and Tezos, right? But it, it feels a little misleading to me um, to spend so much time educating users or really miseducating users about the future of, of these altcoins when their primary purpose is speculation. Um, so that that's the one difference I see between Coinbase and Binance. You know, the business model is ultimately the same. It's just whether you're being honest about the business model. And and companies like Swan and even Cash App or River Financial, CoinFloor, Amber App, we're in a, just a totally different business model. Like that's that's not how we're making money. We're not making money on trading fees and we're not encouraging users um, to really like overtrade, um, getting in and out of the market and then uh, charge them fees for that. So different, totally different business model <laughs> using, using the same, uh, the same Bitcoin <laughs> for different purposes. The same Bitcoin, you're not renting it out to five other customers at the same time. <laughs> Uh, so if someone's decided, they're like, okay, I've decided, yeah, I do want to buy Bitcoin. I'm not going to get uh, distracted by all these shiny unicorns and other kinds of stuff. I want to buy Bitcoin. Um, why shouldn't they just then find a reputable Bitcoin exchange and transfer the $10,000? Like, do you want to go through the process of what DCA is and, you know, but perhaps even yeah. more practically, how, how does that actually work, Linux, you know, going through step by step? Yeah. So there, are, in the U.S. exchange, there are a bunch of ways to buy Bitcoin, um, and some of them are much more complex than other ones. And and some of them allow you to own the actual Bitcoin, like we do. And some of you, some of them are are very easy to use, but you don't actually end up owning the Bitcoin. You, you know, like Robinhood. Um, so we use ACH transfers, um, which are very simple. Like all you have to do is put in your bank account information, and then we periodically pull it once a week. Um, we, are, we are actually increasing it shortly to, to twice a week to, so people can DCA even more often. <laughs> um, but but that, that is just a so, such a simple user experience um, because they don't have to end up wiring money, which can be challenging. Um, and, and they don't have to end up timing the market. So Oftentimes, when you go to other exchanges, um, you have to wire money in, <laughs> make sure you got the routing information right for the bank wire so you didn't just wire it into oblivion, <laughs> um, and then cross your fingers that the wire shows up, and then uh, purchase Bitcoin. You can either market buy Bitcoin or set, set some sort of um, level that you would buy it at. If, you know, if price drops below this point, you buy, or price rises above some point, you buy. Um, and, and that's a great option for, for people who have a lot of experience in financial markets and a lot of experience in the tr traditional system or a lot of experience trading. But for most people, uh, it's not really worth your time, frankly, uh, because, uh, you have better things to do than most people have better things to do than, than stare at charts and try and wire money every week or, you know, every few days into a 
into Kraken or into Coinbase. Um, and so ACH pools tend to be simpler um, than, and, and more, you can sort of set them and forget them, at least with our company. Um, and so that's why we've, that's been our primary focus. We are ultimately going to add wires, um, but it's sort of going to be just an add-on feature for, for people. We're still going to maintain ACH pulls as the, the primary funding mechanism, just because it allows people to set it up once and then forget about it and never have to worry about, uh, never have to worry about when they're buying Bitcoin, how they're buying Bitcoin ever again. Um, oh, and, and to that, so us, stressful. Yeah, pick the top yeah. and the bottom. It's like I don't know where the top yeah, and the bottom is. And people, the people do it wrong. Everyone, or ninety ninety eight percent of people do it wrong. Actually, according to Arthur Hayes, it's ninety nine percent of people lose as traders and one percent win. Um, and I I used to think that I could do it right. And you know I, I've been buying Bitcoin now for a year and a half and disproportionately when the price goes up, I, I buy then and disproportionately when the price goes down, I don't buy. And, and I consider myself a very smart person. I, I also know that this is a long-term play, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I, I'm in this for 30 years, um, but I still sort of get caught in the emotions myself. And this allows these, these saying sort of allows you to, to take the emotions out of it so that you can buy when the price is low uh, buy more actually when the price is low and then the price goes up and you end up buying a little bit less but but you don't get caught up nearly so much in in the emotional swings which for some crypto traders is fun like that's their life there's you know these emotional swings of you know price is going through twelve thousand. but for most people you know their time is better spent with their family and working at their job than than caring about the bitcoin price um so once hopefully once they understand enough of the fundamentals of it they realize the long-term upward trajectory of it. Um, DCA really is the option for 99% of people. And it's a really good way to get into Bitcoin too. You don't have to sort of spend uh, $10,000 with a transfer or something like that. You can just, you know, I don't know. What, yeah. What's your minimum amount? Can you do like a $10 or a $20? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. we do $10. You can do $10 a week. Um, we, we actually used to be able to do $5 a week as well. So even cheaper, you can, and we, we still have a $10 monthly option. So <laughs> $120 a year, very, very easy way to start building your position in Bitcoin. Wow. That's really encouraging to hear. Cause I remember, yeah, when I was first telling people about Bitcoin, it was late 2016. And a few people came up to me and I just um, repeated what I was hearing from other people, which is just buy it and don't look at the price for five years. And a couple people <laughs> followed my advice and, you know, they, they got in at around 3000. saw the price swing to 20,000. Um, other people traded in and out, in and out. And the stress levels between it <laughs> could not be more fragmented. So, yeah. And also, you know, even though I was yeah. saying to people, buy and hold, I wasn't doing that. I was trading it because I thought I know what I'm doing. So if, yeah, something like Swan Bitcoin <laughs> would have been great for me back in 2016 because I would have followed my own advice. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really helpful feature for, not, again, 99% of, of the average Joes in the world who, who aren't traders, um, don't have 10 years of trading experience. 
those people are, are not going to beat the market. And those people are best served by just automatically DCAing in. Um, the, the, yeah, can, the increases, <laughs> yeah. the increases in price are actually helpful for, um, for sort of driving people towards learning more about Bitcoin. Um, at least we found that, you know, when prices go up, way more people are engaged, way more people are wondering like, why is this thing going up in price? And, and they start digging into the fundamentals more. Um, but eventually the end game of, of understanding Bitcoin is, is DCAing. And pretty much everyone I've, I've talked to who's, who's ever studied it in, in serious ends up, you know, maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes five years, but they end up realizing that, that DCA is, is the way to accumulate Bitcoin. So DCA into Bitcoin, get your Bitcoin onto your hardware wallet, and then what? <laughs> and then, well, that's just the beginning, because then you start running your own node, then you can start experimenting with Lightning Network. Um, but, but for me, at least, just getting Bitcoin into as many hands as possible is, is my mission, um, and, and trying to get as many people as possible interested in Bitcoin. Fantastic. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's awesome. Um, so obviously Swan Bitcoin is Eurocentric, at least for the moment. And you've mentioned some others in some other countries. I think Faris and I will have to follow up on those as well. Is there anything that we've missed or we haven't asked you about uh, DCA beginning investing, any best practices or tips and tricks or anything like that? <laughs> um, no, I think that's about it. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I, mean, well, I, I could go on and uh, talk about your experience at a, at a monastery in Thailand, I think it was, but that's perhaps <laughs> for another podcast. Faris, have you got anything else? No, no. Thank you very much, Reed, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. And um, yeah, we'll make sure that we uh, set up um, links for everyone to find you guys at Swan Bitcoin. What about yourself, Reed? If people want to follow your work, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can follow me at, uh, on Twitter at Reed Womack, at Reed Womack. And if you want to sign up for Swan Bitcoin, if you go to swanbitcoin.com slash Reed Womack, uh, you can actually get $10 of free Bitcoin. <laughs> so yeah, sign up, start DCAing, um, and start accumulating a little bit of Bitcoin. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.